We're so glad that you're listening to the Branches Podcast. If you're in the Houston area, we'd love to see you in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more information, go to brancheshtx.org. We hope this message helps you draw closer to God and that you hear the good news that you belong. Thanks for listening.
And the servant replied, Your brother has arrived, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf, because he received his son back safe and sound. Then the older son was furious and didn't want to enter in, but his father came out and begged him. He answered his father, Look, I've served you all these years. I never disobeyed your instructions, yet you've never given me as much as a young goat, so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours returned, after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Then his father said, Son, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I've shared this before, and it bears repeating, I guess, if some of you don't know me that well, uh, that I'm a twin. When I share about, like, most interesting facts about myself, that's usually the one I use. I've shared that before. And people always say, what's it like being a twin? I don't know what to compare it to. <laughs> um, I've only ever been one. Uh, and being a twin, of course, has had an impact on my life. I've shared birthdays and shared birthday parties most of my life. We shared a room together for a long, long time. But one thing I didn't realize until later in my life was, you know, like, being a, a twin is important to me. I didn't realize the impact it had on my older sister, <laughs> Caitlin. And she's five years older than us. And when my mom took Caitlin to the doctor, my mom was getting an ultrasound because uh, she, she was pregnant again. And the doctor made what he thought was a funny joke, but ended up not being a very funny joke, was doing ultrasound and said, I just want to make sure there's not three in there. Uh, and my mom said, aha, very funny. And he said, no, just two. Uh, and this was the first time she was hearing this. Uh, and she said, there's two babies in there? And he said, yeah, there's two babies. And my older sister started hopping up and down clapping, two babies, two babies, two babies. And my mom was like weeping, two babies, two babies. What am I going to do with two babies? Because Caitlin had it like a perfect life. <laughs> she had everything going for her. They had a really good situation. Mom, dad, Caitlin. She got all the attention. When she had a birthday, she got all the attention. She was an only child. Uh, it was wonderful, wonderful for her. And to have another kid come to the, into the picture would be one thing. It would be enough if it had been just one. But it was two. Two of us. And we were mischievous and we were a hard time. And I mean, to our credit, she also would pick one of us to pit against the other one. Uh, she had a lot of fun with us. But it, uh, frankly, at that moment, ruined her life. <laughs> uh, there's this really cute picture that my mom still has. My dad's a photographer. And so he took this picture of us. And it's my older sister, Caitlin. She's probably five or six, holding me and my sister, Jillian, in her lap. And uh, she's smiling, and we're like, you know, we're not barely there. Uh, and it's a really, really cute picture, but my dad says after that picture was taken, she shrieked, get these babies off of me. <laughs> and so they, they took us off, and she, my parents said that one time that she like went in our room and was like looking in our cribs, and she was like, they don't do anything. <laughs> you know? we, we really ruined her life. And I think the greatest grace that God has given me in my entire life, for many, many reasons, but also particularly for this reason, is to be married to my wife, Landon. Because she has two sisters who are twins. And I know you're thinking, we've asked and asked, it skips a generation. <laughs> we'll, we'll, you know, we're worried about it too. But, uh, that's not what this morning is about. Uh, 
she is about three or four years older than her younger sisters. They're twins, and the same thing happened to her. Had a really good thing going. It was just her living her best life, and then Bailey and Madison came along. Her two sisters uh, ruined her life in some way. There's this really great uh, home video that her uncle was taking, and he's like trying to ask her all these questions. And Landon is like the sweetest, cutest kid. She's really, really shy. She's kind of whispering the answers, how old she is, and all this stuff. And he says, "What are your?" Uh, Sister's names, and she like amps up a little. She goes, Bailey and Madison. Her mom says that sometimes she'd be like changing the twins' diapers, and she'd just be overcome with this feeling that she was being watched. <laughs> and she's like, Look, and Landon is like glaring through the door, you know, how could you do this to me? But I've learned a lot. Like, Caitlin and I get along great. My older sister and I get along great now. We talk, and she made me an uncle, which I'm really proud of. Her son, Hudson, was my first nephew. I get to be fun with Colin, and I don't get to see her as often. Both she and my other sister live on the East Coast, and I'm just uh, really proud to be her brother. But there for a while, I, I think she would say the same thing. We didn't understand each other. <laughs> and then I married Landon, and I feel like I understand her more. <laughs> And really empathize with her and really understand, like, maybe, you know, she had this good thing going and then me and my sister came along and they kind of messed it all up. And, and things are, are good now, but you've been there too, I think. Not maybe a sibling, but maybe that's the case for you. Or you get a new neighbor or a new coworker or something and you see this person as an interruption. That this person just comes into your life or these people come into your life and you didn't expect it and you certainly didn't ask for it and now they're there and you have to deal with them. That's how Landon felt about her new sisters, and that's how my sister felt about me and, and my sister in that time. That, that, that it just it is an interruption. Will Willimon is a bishop of the Methodist Church, and he says uh, ministry is a series of difficult conversations, which I've come to believe is true. And I might add a caveat to that or say another version of that is uh, ministry is also just a series of interruptions if we let it happen. If we cultivate the environment, we open ourselves to be interrupted by people. And that's what the story is about today. If we focus in particular on the older brother, an interruption. Okay, yeah, this, this relationship had been broken. Uh, they weren't reconciled. He took his inheritance, what was owed to him, and he left. And then he just gets to come back. And not just gets to come back and maybe be on like a probationary period or something. Like they have a party for him. His dad celebrates, and he gives him a ring, and they kill the fattened calf, and they have this big feast, and they celebrate him. It's an interruption. You can hear in the, in the older son's voice, even just in the text, like, how could you do this? Like, I did everything right. I showed up when I was supposed to. I stayed here when I was supposed to. I worked with you. And then this guy comes back. He interrupts us. Lee Critcher is a pastor now. He was a pastor back in the 70s and 80s, and he planted this church, and it grew like crazy. And after it grew like crazy, he kind of had a succession plan, and he handed it off to somebody else, and he became an executive at, at Home Depot. And he worked at Home Depot for a really, really long time. And then the church called uh, the one that he had planted, and they're like, hey, Lee, uh, how's it going? He's like, oh, things are great. How about you? Not so well. <laughs> This church that he had grown and built and made huge and beautiful, that God had done so many amazing things in, and all these people were coming to it, was falling apart. It was in deep, steep decline. And so they said, would you come back? <laughs> this pastor that had planted this church and had left, and maybe for good reason, uh, they wanted him to come back. And he said no the first time. And he talked to his friend Andy Stanley, who's another pastor in that area, and Andy encouraged him to do it. He said, you should do it. 
And he went back and he saw all the things that, that he had started and all these things he'd implemented and just stayed around and nothing had really changed or innovated. There was no new way to connect with new people. A lot of the same people that were there when he was there was, were still there, but none new people. He said, I didn't see a stranger in the building. And they weren't reaching people. In this populous area where all these people were moving, they just weren't reaching people. And so he started to change things. And they started to change the music, and they started to update the environment, and do all of uh, this other stuff. And this woman came to him one time, just furious, and said, you've interrupted everything. He says it remembers as this like, sad moment in the life of his ministry, that he knew this woman, and he loved her, and she, he thought she loved him, and he came in to change all this stuff, and, and, and she wasn't happy. That relationship was broken, interrupted. Just like last week. Just like how we saw in the story of the lost coin and the lost sheep, those stories aren't about us. They're not about you know categorizing, are we lost or are we found? Are we the good sheep that stayed in the fold or are we the wandering sheep that did some bad stuff? Are we the coin that fell off the chain of coins or are we uh, the coins that stayed? It's not about categorization, it's about who God is. It's about God's character. It's about God's disposition toward humanity in general. How does God feel about you? And those stories tell us that Jesus thinks that God thinks you are precious, that you are worth searching for, that you are worth loving, that you are worth pursuing, that you are worth finding. And again, in this longer story, he emphasizes that point because we see in the story that the central figure is the father. The figure that shocks us the most is not the two sons. We understand, we empathize with their reactions to these uh, things that happen in our lives, but we don't totally understand the father. I'm most moved by this picture of the father whose son is, has taken his money, and we get this internal dialogue with the son. And it's hard to tell when reading the story. Is he coming back for more? <laughs> is he really regretful? Does he really have any remorse for what he's done? Because he has this internal dialogue where he says to himself, essentially, you know, my dad was really generous. <laughs> I could go back. I could find him again. I could see if maybe he could help me. He says, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I'm starving to death? Meaning pig food. My dad has better than pig food. I, I could go be one of my dad's servants. So he decides to go back. He has this uh, thought. Well, when he came to his senses, he said, how, uh, I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He's rehearsing what he's going to say. It could be insincere. But then when he goes back home, we have this beautiful picture of the father seeing his son a long way off. And he doesn't, like, you know, cross his arms like, okay, he's back again. He sees him a long way off, and he tells the servants, find the fat calf, my son is returned home. And we know in the first century, they were wearing this long, kind of dress-like garb, that he would have made a fool of himself, lifting it up to run out to meet his son, and hug him, embrace him, and kiss him. My friend Adam's church is called Embrace from this very story. He said, I, I want our church to be like that, to be like the man who looked out on the horizon and saw his son, and he didn't wait for him to come back. He didn't try to entice him. He didn't judge him. He didn't ask, where have you been? He ran out to meet him, and he embraced him and kissed him and threw him apart and celebrated And maybe if the younger son was insincere in his transformation, maybe he was. I, I don't know. It's hard to tell just from reading the text if we guess that he was. That reaction, the way his dad uh, received him, transformed his life. Changed what he expected his dad to uh, beat up on him, to judge him, to wonder where he was, to question him, how he spent all the money, and he hugged him instead. 
And likewise for the older son. The older son is upset, and, and, and the father says to the older son the same thing. Everything I have is yours. You're still my son. I'm glad that you stayed around. Uh, and he embraces him, and that changes him too. He goes to meet his older son and his younger son where they are, in their attitude, in their physical space, wherever they are. And he goes out to meet them, to embrace them, not to push them away, not to categorize them, not to make a lot out of all the little things that they have done, or he doesn't keep a list and count their sins. He embraces them and loves them. One of my professors in seminary gave us all one of those uh, paper Ikea rulers. Uh, and... He says, you know, everybody has this, like, three feet around them. And you kind of have this measure it out. It's a metaphor. It's not actually three feet. And I'm an introvert, so it's always kind of like, if someone's getting close to the end of the three feet, it's like, back up a little bit. And then people always ask me, like, you're an introvert. Does that mean you don't like people? I'm like, no, just you. So step back a little bit. Like, this is my three feet. You know, and it's not really that I love people. I course, the profession I've chosen, I have to love people, and I get to love people, and I love people, but I value my own time. <laughs> but we have those three feet around us, and sometimes we do that. Like, people get close to it, like, i got to take a couple steps back, because they're going to interrupt me. I have this good thing going on. Like the older son, I, my, my, my brother went away, he wasted it all, and he came back into the circle, and we let him come back in. That's the three feet around you. Or you're an only child, and then you now all of a sudden have two siblings. They're in your circle. You're interrupted, and you have to deal with them. You're a father, and you've given so much to your children. You've given so much to the people that you love, and they've squandered it. And then they come back into your circle and maybe ask for more. Somebody that you've broken a relationship with comes back to maybe make it right. They interrupt what's going on. You've forgotten about them or thought that they were long gone. And this three feet around us. I think what this story teaches us, the practical implication for us following Jesus, and I think for branches, what I want to be at the heartbeat of who we are, is when we have this three feet around us, and at the edge of it we see someone, we step in. We close the gap. Not in an annoying and obvious way, but get closer. We lean in. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, only love gets close enough to know. We get close. We make our circle interact with others. We see people far off on the edge, and we don't say, like, we'll see if they're going to show up or not. Let's put up a sign. Welcome home, son. No, what God shows us, what Jesus shows us in the story is you run, you make a fool of yourself. You make every effort to embrace the person back into your circle. You have this three feet around you say, I want my three feet around me to intersect with your three feet. I want the people that maybe have hurt me and harmed me in some way, uh, and not in an abusive way, but people with these, these relationships that need to be reconciled, I want them to come back in. I want my life to be transformed by my extravagance, my recklessness, as we sang today. It's what the word prodigal means. I want to shower on other people the love that they don't deserve because I don't deserve it. I want to invite people into this circle, into this place. I want to run out to people and bring them in, not to make myself look better or not to prop up some organization or to have more people in a room, but because we know that as we enter the three feet around Jesus, our lives change. And we know that the story of the gospel is that God took that three feet around himself, put on flesh, became a person, and intersected with all of our lives. Paul tells us in the New Testament, Jesus bore everything, every temptation, anything what we would ever face in his own body. He, he took it all on himself, willfully, willingly, 
said, said, I want to encounter every temptation that every person could possibly encounter. He took on flesh to do just that. He walked alongside us. This promise all the way back in the Old Testament in Leviticus that, that God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And he answered that prayer by becoming a baby. Talk about interruption. Interrupted the world in the most foolish, reckless way possible to become a helpless child so that his three feet could intersect with ours. I think it's a risk willing to take. It's the charge that I have as a pastor and as the leader of this new community. It's the charge that Carrie has in leading us in worship is that God's space around himself would interact, would collide with ours. And likewise, then we would be pushed, we would be compelled, that then our space, the three feet around us, the three feet around branches, the three feet around what it means to be a Christian would interact with the world. That's the invitation. That pastor, Lee Critcher, his three feet interacted with this woman's three feet and was so angry at him for changing the carpet or changing the style of music or whatever else, all these other things that he maybe shouldn't have done so quickly. And their, their relationship transformed, was reconciled. When he said to her, hey, if I remember correctly, um, your son used to go here, uh, used to be part of this community. What happened? And she told him the story and they kind of they got together closer, they shared a little bit of their stories and it reconciled them some. And she said, if he got tired of all the stuff that the church was doing, and he said, I, there's no silver bullet, there's no quick fix, but hypothetically, if any of this stuff changing meant that you could sit with your son at church on Sunday, would you be okay with it then? And she said, of course I guess. And he says in the book that he wrote about this whole experience that she does. And her son did come back. And she wears those big headphones we put on babies at concerts <laughs> because they change the music. And she doesn't like it. But she worships with her son and worships every week because their circles interacted. And she risked and she was reckless and she was extravagant and sharing uh, a little bit uh, of who she was and let go of her preferences so that circle could grow wider and connect with more people. Somebody, at some point, the reason that you're here today, maybe it was as early as yesterday or this morning, ran out to meet you and said, would you come to this thing today? Or maybe a long, long time ago, somebody ran out to meet you and said, hey, have you heard about this Jesus person who's changed my life? Someone ran out to me. I was driving the car yesterday and just thinking, listing all the people in my life who ran out to meet me where I was and didn't say, where have you been? Didn't question where I was at the time didn't want an uh, invoice for all the things I've spent my money and resources on, they embrace me. They show me how God loves, what God is like, who Jesus embodied. Their circle touched mine and ran out to meet me. We have three weeks before we launch Branches Field. I wish we could do it again and again and again for the next few weeks, but on September 18th, we're going to throw a party <laughs> Because we believe that God is celebrating the transformation of people's lives. And when, when he is lifted up, drawing all those people to himself, he sees all of them on the horizon. And I want to say to you this morning, God sees you on the horizon. He doesn't say, oh no, here comes so-and-so. <laughs> God runs out to meet you. He's doing it even now. He's embracing you even now. And he's inviting you on behalf of him to go into the world and, and look on your margins. Look on the people on the edges of your life. Look at the people that maybe you think are a lost cause and run out to meet them. And invite them in. And maybe, maybe you don't invite them to branches. I, that would be wonderful if you did. But it's not about that. Invite them in 
to your heart. Invite them into your relationship. Invite them into the experience that you've had of God in Jesus. Invite them. Run out to meet them and embrace them. It's all simple. It's so, so simple. I think we so overcomplicate it sometimes. And Jesus shows us it's this simple. Run out to meet them. Open yourself for interruption. Interrupt others in a helpful, kind, gentle, Christian way. It's what uh, Dallas Willard calls the allure of gentleness. Go out to meet them. That's the charge. Let's do it together.